Hi folks, I'm Mark Fallows and this is the Impossible Network Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. And please leave a rating and a review because it helps more people find us. If you want to find out more of what we get up to, or suggest who we interview next, follow us on Instagram at The Impossible Network, or visit theimpossiblenetwork.com. Okay, let's get started. My mother, on the other hand, a total beauty in and out Strong, independent, avant-garde, the love of my life, my idol, my inspiration, the wind behind my wings, she's a tree and I'm a little branch, she's my everything. She continues to be, and what you are looking at now is she, and I'm just channeling her, because I used to actually drown in a glass of water, and since she dwells in me, I become fearless. And this is what happened when she left, and she has made me the way she is. Born to a Peruvian father and Chilean mother, she grew up to become a legend of New York nightlife. And to this day, not only continues to reinvent herself, but also entertainment experiences. Welcome this week's guest, Carmen Delasio. We recorded this interview in Carmen's apartment back in July 2019. With the windows open, the sounds of Manhattan provide a suitable city soundscape. Like recent episodes, this is a two-parter. In part one, Carmen recounts the enduring influence of her mother, escaping her controlling father, her early years in 60s New York, meeting her first husband, and her magical wedding experience with a godfather called Salvador Dali. In part one, we skip the sensational Studio 54 story and cover that in part two. And we end part one with how Carmen has remained Queen of the Night and now Day with her Sundowner concept in partnership with New York-based Tao Group and more recently with Peruvian concept restaurant Baby Brassa. I hope you enjoy the entertaining and age-defying energy and passion of Carmen Delasio. Carmen, welcome to the Impossible Network podcast. It is an absolute honour, pleasure, and I'm so excited to be doing this interview. Well, I'm very happy that another Peruvian friend suggested that I would be a candidate. I hope that we are going to make it happen. It's great. So we are sitting here today in a very hot New York, uh, West 58th Street, um, in a fabulous building, by the way. Thank um, which you. Which is extraordinary. So thank you for hosting the us. The legendary your... Mary's building. There you go. And so thank you for hosting us in your delightful apartment. And it's, uh, I wish this, uh, we might take some images um, after the interview, just to be able to sort of share on the podcast page because there's some wonderful images of Carmen. By all means, with great pleasure. Great. Okay. So, Carmen, we always start the podcast by exploring our guests' early life. So, I believe you were born in Lima. Yes, in I Peru. was born in Lima. But my father was Peruvian and my mother Chilean. Right. And that made a whole difference because we are talking about my father who was born in another century. He was born in 1900. He was very, very old-fashioned and very machista. And he had a very interesting life on his own. He was the middle child of three brothers. And uh, actually my grandfather was, he owned mines of Salitre in Santiago, so, in Tarapacá, in an area colliding between Peru and Chile. And so he was very well brought up and he was uh, very spoiled by his parents. The three of them were because there was a lot of cash involved in the family and they used to travel to Europe and take boats with lawyers, masters, 
gym teachers, you name it. So he had a very interesting childhood, but unfortunately he, uh, he had a hunting accident with his older brother. One Sunday, the older brother Ezekiel, my uncle, asked him to go hunting. Of what age? He was barely 15. And they went hunting for doves on a Sunday. And unfortunately, his brother, by mistake, instead of hitting a bird, no. hit the right arm of my father. So my father was left at 15, oh, handicapped. No. He lost the right arm. But he had such an incredible personality, and so strong, Capricorn by birth, in fact, January the 6th that he decided that he was going to pursue everything he had in mind and he was going to do it better even with the left arm Was alone. he left handed? Well, I hope he was left-handed. He wasn't until that <laughs> we moment. We had to become one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he <laughs> didn't have any choice, but on the other hand, because he was such an idol of mine growing up, I tend to become left-handed yeah. <laughs> as well, until at one point he told me that I didn't forcefully need it to be left-handed. I became ambidextrous at the end. I can use both hands, which helps. But the point is that he was an international race car driver. No way. Yes, that was my father. Wow. He was even doing maneuvers, uh, loop in the loop, in an avioneta, you know, those yeah. bi-motors. Yes, yeah. But he was, he was doing it because he just wanted to breathe that. He, nothing was going to stop him. He wasn't going to be feeling a handicap as my grandfather wanted him to be. Because he says, you will never need to work again a day in your life. You are handicapped, you are going to be taken care of, spend anything you want, go anything you want. But he wanted to learn as well painting, and he was an artist, and he also was a sponsor of many well-known artists in Peru, even in Mazumac, you know, he was a philanthropic in that mo moment. So what happens is that he went to Paris, he was very young, 16 years old. He used to go to Folie Verger and all these places, mm -hmm. and he learned very quickly that money talks, and he could buy anybody that he wanted, even if they were older than him or whatever. So then he, being machista, being from another era, started losing respect with women. He could because he was very rich and he was, you know, supported by my grandfather so he could go and spend with all these beautiful showgirls, you know, the typical. My mother, on the other hand, a total beauty in and out, strong, independent, avant-garde, the love of my life, and my idol, my inspiration, the wind behind my wings, she's a tree and I'm a little branch, she's my everything. She continues to be, and what you are looking at now is she, and I'm just channeling her, because I used to actually drown in a glass of water, and since she dwells in me, I become fearless. And this is what happened when she left, and she has made me the way she is. Whether sometimes I fail because I still drown in a glass of water, but normally I have endured a lot of situations that I think without her would have been impossible. In any case, she started off by being who she was, in front of my father, who fell flatly in love for her, of course. Where did he meet and her? And when I show you her pictures, you will say, wow, she's a movie star. In any case, um, 
they met simply because of the fact that she was working in the uh, in a, the office of the attorney. She was a business girl already, and she was in charge, you know, of the accounting department and all that, like an accountant. You know, very smart on top of that, very independent and very beautiful. And she, as she told me later, she was heartbroken because when she was very young, also by 15 years old. She had had a beautiful first love story, but she had gone to her grandparents' house in the south of Chile for the summer, and it looks like during that period, he made another girl pregnant, mm -hmm. and he had to marry her. So she always used to lament the fact that her first love was not her last one. <laughs> you know, in any case, she was a, I'm trying to explain the fact that she was completely independent, and she had no interest in anything except doing well, her thing well, when, when we talk about serendipity i think that sort of serendipity before you're born led to you being born a happy accident well as i say i wouldn't even be here if it wasn't exactly. for my mother so she is i owe her everything my life and the rest in and out so what happens is that she was in her world and he was there and he obviously liked her because he was a beauty but at the same time he loved the way she was. She was very hard to get, clearly. So at the end, they fell in love and they got married. And this is the parents that I had when I was born. And I'm explaining the way they were because as time went by, my father didn't know very well how to be a father, but he thought that if he give, gave me a lot of possessions, he would always have me on his end, on his side. So I was extremely spoiled being the eldest one and the only woman girl. My two brothers were younger than me. I could go shopping, I could go to the beauty salons. I was the best client of Elizabeth Arden at that age. I could do whatever I want. He would take me buying Oeshley clothes. He would make the girls do a fashion show. Who would sit with this 15 year old girl. What did your mother have to say about that? My mommy was easy going. So my mother never wanted any trouble. You know, if this was the way that my daddy had of showing his attention and love, let it be, we were both having fun. You know, she told me something very important. Never judge anybody. If you have nothing nice to say about somebody, don't say a word. She was so wise. Everything I've learned is from her. So in any case, in fact, I'm writing now a book with my biographer, The Gospel According to Carmen. And there is a whole chapter dedicated to my mother and her influence. It's her eternal influence with me because even my brothers have said, and I've been married three times, the only love that you've ever had is my mother. That impact on your life. So your mother clearly is the, the one that had the more impact. Your father my lavished, father lavished you with Lavished gifts. me, but he, but I mean, it would have been okay for me to be like that, you know, but I didn't want to come out as the girl that is so spoiled that she's going to be supported by the family until she finds the husband that they are going to pick up and then I'm going to be supported by my husband. I was against that because I wanted to prove that I am worth something. If not, why am I in this life? But exactly. The reason of the problem is that my father lavished me on one end, but wanted to control my life. And he didn't want me to even know how to write a check so I could be totally dependent. This is the way he oh, was with I me. See. At one point when I was already finishing high school and I was good in languages and I already at school knew English, French and Spanish. So at this point, what happens is that came 
the international affair of the Pacific, which was a very important international affair happening in Lima. And part of the whole international affair was the American pavilion. And because of the English, they wanted to hire me through the American embassy to be there. And I was so proud of myself. Mommy, 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 I'm going to work with the American pavilion, yeah! And my father said, no way. No what daughter like? of mine and least of all in a uniform. Mm. So this was getting me devastated. My mommy would see the decline. What age were you? Like 15, 16, 16. very young, you know. And so one day I was coming back from a movie. I had just gone with my girlfriends after the school, you know. And as I was coming back, we had a tremendously large house, which is, was a school afterwards. I came just back from the movie and I could open the door and saw my father coming from that staircase in the pajamas with a whip in hand. And my mother behind him in her nightgown. And then he just tells me, from where are you coming? Like if I was a whore, you know, I'm, I'm a child, I'm 15, I'm coming from the movies. I said, from the movies. He throws my back open and some of the girls were smoking and they had given me a cigarette, but I was so scared of everything, I hadn't even touched it. So it falls out and he starts whipping me. And he told me, don't ever forget that I gave you life and I will take it if I want to as well. My mother just grabbed me, get, got herself in between that so he wouldn't continue whipping me. And today that is called abuse, you yeah. know, total abuse, you know. So my, and it was out of love, I'm not judging him. Mm. He was the way he was, you know, old fashioned, machista. But then what happened was that mommy, in the most beautiful gesture I've ever seen, which shows that she loved me more than herself, she sent me away, her only daughter, away so she could rescue my soul. For two. And I went to my family in Santiago. Mm. And there my life changed already. Because my father thought, I'm not going to send her any money, so in not doing that, she's going to come right back. He forgot about my languages. <laughs> so I got the best job with the best travel agency. I was the assistant of the boss with my three languages having the time of my life. So at this point, what happens is that I was running around with this beautiful blonde lady, Alma Puelma. She was a player. She was like 20 years older than me, but I looked up to her because she was a beauty. And she was hanging around with these fabulously glamorous boys. And I suddenly started forming part of that entourage. Mm -hmm. You know, me dark, she blonde, I dressed in white, she dressed in black, and all these five great looking guys. And they were huge spenders, very young, all of us. But we would go to Casino, Viña del Mar, and we would be gambling, and we would be drinking and dancing. And one of those evenings, as I was dancing around, I see a very attractive guy, and, and he asked me to dance, and that was Guy Burgos. Oh, Peru, yes. I read about Chilean. Yeah. And he's the guy that engineered the, the move to New York. No, no, no. He no? did engineer. Nobody engineered my life. Yeah. He's the one that because <laughs> I had an, a little affair with the guy, but then in the meantime, he was involved with this girl that he told me he wasn't sure about getting married to her. Then I said, 
like if I was an expert and I nearly had 16, I said, uh, I think that you should move to New York in that case because that's where all the gay guys go. I think that you are gay, I told him. But with mm. such conviction, I had never been in New York. So he said, oh, is that so? Mm, sounds interesting. So to make the story short, we did have a little fling and uh, then he moved to New York. Were you right? Totally. <laughs> there you go. Totally. You know, what? the guy became the it boy. He was working in the best art gallery, Finley Galleries. And at the same time, in the moment in which I arrived a couple of years later, he was engaged to Sarah Russell, the niece of Winston Churchill, who was 20 years older than him. Yeah. But on the other hand, she was the niece of Winston mm-hmm. Churchill. So that shows to you, because this is very New York. He was the it boy, the toast of town. She wanted it for him. She was a cougar, blah, blah, blah. So what happens is in the meantime that I also had a very, very cool friend from Argentina that was the daughter of the manager of Elizabeth Arden in Lima, where I was the best client. Susan Salas, the daughter, had become my very close friend. So she was managing Elizabeth Arden in New York. And so I had two friends when I arrived, two friends to come and visit, one Guy, my little fling, and the other one, my girlfriend from Argentina. So I landed at Guy's place, who was delighted to have me, and he thought that I was a little bit more New York style, which I wasn't. Next morning he says, "Uh, can you fix me some coffee? And I didn't even know how to boil water. Remember that I didn't know how to do it? (laughs) So I'm crying in front of the kitchen because I'm saying, Jesus, how useless can I be? I don't know how to. And he starts laughing, and then I got very offended, and I took off. I took off. I went wandering to the United Nations. And so, finally, I showed up at the end of the day, and he says, Jesus, I didn't mean to hurt you, you know, I mean, you know how I love you. The only thing that we have to plan is to get you out of here ASAP, because if not, my fiancé will break up the engagement. So he finds Gustavo Novo, a fabulous Chilean, also, great painter. He paints like Rousseau. He lives in Miami. So he lodged me, you know, and then thanks to that, I was able to be very good friends with Sarah Russell. And she was very impressed that, uh, you know, we were so close with Guy and we went, I remember the first weekend that we were here, uh, that I was here, we go to the Hamptons, to Ann Ford. And Ann Ford tell me, yeah, you just just arrived and I'm already, listening great things about you. You are so well connected that you are at my home already. You see, the whole city opened because it was meant to be like that. Mm -hmm. Then I went to see Susan. Susan told me, my dear, with that land, so many languages, which are this UN languages, would you like to be an interpreter? So here I am. In New York landed amazing job like a student of political science. And then I am also working at the UN and going out with Guy and Antarash. Did it, as soon as you arrived, did you feel New York was home? Not really, no, because no. it was such a big city and I were deep inside me. I was always like a little family girl, you know, but then slowly I had to learn fast because mm-hmm. the sec- the first night that we were here, we went with Guy to the most famous places here. He took me to El Morocco. Mm-hmm. 
Then we went to a beautiful little clubby situation. I think it was called Hunter D. Then I ran into Edie Sedgwick and what was his name? George Hamilton. Yeah, I ran into all that crowd. The first night, he introduced me to all of them. You've got a fabulous memory for names. Yeah, incredible. Sometimes. It's unbelievable how certain things that happened years ago, I can remember, and otherwise that happened yesterday, I don't remember. So I met all of that people, then we ended up at a place called Trudy Heller, which was a les- lesbian club in the village. In the and we really had a major good time. Where was Guy living? Lee, Guy was living in the East 50s. And so, and in fact, my life was carrying on in here. I met my first husband, Carlos D'Alessio, shortly after I arrived at the Halloween party at a place called Cheetah. Olivier Coquelin was the owner. I'm dressed as a French maid, and everybody can see me, but there is this Argentine designer who introduces me to Neptune. Neptune is the only way in which I knew this character because he is gay. I said, cares about that I said I'm going to dance with him nothing else and I danced the night away and he was the best dancer you can imagine we had such a blast I can't even tell you one day I'm coming out of the UN and I see a good-looking handsome guy you know at the entrance and he says I'm quite disappointed I didn't get invited to your party your birthday party but who are you Neptune? Neptune Oh, oh my goodness. Wow, I wish I you know I would have seen you without <laughs> I didn't remember. He says, Well, that's not a reason not to go out again. So I assume of course we are going to go dancing. What else you know, we love to dance. So I said, he was Neptune, I'm going to dress like a mermaid. So I was wearing a beautiful courage turquoise chiffon dress, very short, tent with huge sequences, like, look like a mermaid, really. You know, those glittering ones. My hair being very short, Vidal Sassoon, very ambiguous, very mermaidish. And he comes in, and to my surprise, he literally jumped on me, like Mm. if he raped me. I wasn't even prepared. I said, what? I mean, I thought that you were supposed to be gay. I am. So what happened? He says, I like you. (laughs) Oh. Great. And that indicated to me that I really have the power Mm. of seducing. I mean, I can't even tell you how it happens because people that know me very closely know that this is a fact. I I married him. I ended up marrying Carlos Alessio. That was my first husband. And there was a tremendous complicity complicity between us because he was who he was. Mm -hmm. So some certain moments he had to leave and be with the boys. Even at the beginning of our romance, I remember clearly, you know, he would come more and more frequently to see me, but sometimes he would say, I have to attend an event tonight. I said, surely, have great fun. (laughs) And then two seconds later, the buzzer again, Uh, Mr. Delisi on his way out, what? No, I'd rather be with you, you know, I'm having more. And then, you know, he asked me to marry him and then I married him and it was the most beautiful ceremony you can imagine because in another situation, which I don't want to get into details with, but it was a situation prior to all of this when Guy Burgos introduced me one day to Salvador Dali, who was staying at the St. Regis with Gal and the whole entourage. There had been an incident with Dali that I don't want to get into mm, deep fair. details now, but I'm going to say that I decided that I wanted him as my padrino 
for the wedding. So it was a beautiful ceremony that we did downtown in City Hall with Carlos, myself, Luis Palacio, the Baroness Aino de Bodisco from Transylvania. It was like out of the world. The daughter, Maria von Wagenberg, and then my beautiful friend, Maria Luisa Freire, who was the ambassador to the United Nations from Argentina, she had the reception for me in Central wow. Park South with fountains, with champagne, and all the UN crowd and all the beautiful Gaetians and the Africans, everybody in their have. It was beyond. And Salvador being my, my God, godfather. Incredible. <laughs> and I was dressed like like a doll in a lace short dress with Roger Vivier shoes in white patent leather, short hair with the flowers around me, and Carlos was dressed like Chopin in fabulous lace <laughs> with the lace coming in here. And it was photos. amazing, you know. But this was my introduction. It was completely different to wow. what I was what used a... to. But I was being introduced to a situation which has become part of my life because I'm extremely open to gay, straight, or whatever makes you happy. Yesterday I was at the at the after party, the boom boom for the mm -hmm. love ball, you know. Um, absolutely, you know, so everybody has, is entitled to be themselves. So your New York adventures began the way that it just carried on from that point onwards. That's true, that talk, is true. Talk to us about this experience of the UN, and you're presumably on, on that side, you're working with politicians, diplomats, many international visitors. Utant is the Secretary General. I get to see the Pope Pius XII when he comes to the General Assembly and delivers the speech. Then what I did was, because he gave us the Papal Medal, I sent that together with a picture of me next to Utant, <laughs> and I sent it to my family and to my oh, father. Your father. And he framed it with great pride. So uh, there you go. So the fa your father finally came round and had pride and, and belief. And did you, how did your relationship with your father change once you came to New York? Actually, at that point, I was already in New York, you know? And no, very, no, what I'm trying to say, and so it became a long distance relationship. I wasn't in Peru anymore. I arrived here in 65, my father died in 68. Uh, All right, that's uh, what I'm trying to yeah. say. Okay. You see, but he did, he was very proud of me. And that was in a position of honor, the purple medal and my picture. You've clearly got a very strong sense of self and character coming to a city that you, was, was not your home. Could have been, could have driven many individuals back home to where they've come from, but you stuck with it. It probably has been because I've always had some sort of an endurance for mm -hmm. pain that makes me only think of it like a challenge that I have to overcome. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, the mandala says, anything that happens to you, good or bad, as long as it leaves a lesson, it's good. Mm -hmm. So I would say... Did this, do you think this character came from the influence of your mother or your father? I think of my mother. Your mother. All yeah. the time, what I see of good in me is because of my mm -hmm. mother. Because my mother was the image of everything that can be good, you know, the endurance, the strength, the resilience, the temper. I mean, Taurus is a very strong sign. I believe in signs of the soul. It's one of the strongest and stubborn and positive and optimistic and it goes and goes. That's what you see. I'm not like that. I'm a Libra. Libras, we are like this. <laughs> one day up, one day down, we don't know what we are doing. We are air signs. We are like flighty. But on the other hand, my rising is Cancer, who is also very 
temperamental and very sensitive, very good in business, incredibly good, very hardworking, very ambitious, yearning always for the family image that I, I got independent from and then that I always miss because deep inside me, I am a family person and you don't imagine how much I enjoy when I am back in Peru during the winter here. It's summer there, I'm back with my brother, with my sister-in-law and my nephews and my nieces and my great nieces and I play in the garden with the girls and the butterflies and I go to the pool and I don't change myself for anybody during that period. I am at my happiest. So much so that when I leave Peru every year in March, I said, this, as usual, has been the best time of the year. From now on, it's down the drain. Mm. Because when the door closes and I go to the airport, I'm crying with tears to leave. Something that makes me so happy. I'm so happy when I am back home. I've, I've read you talk about your, your optimism, your gratitude, and the fact that you celebrate every moment in life. That moment, that time when you first came and you, you met your husband, you met Salvador and went through a difficult <coughs> period, was that optimism, that celebration of every moment there at that age? No, one, li one lives and learns, mm -hmm. one lives and learns. There are two, I think that we go through different karmas and I think we have to come back every time that we have to learn something new. My mother, for example, I know that she's not coming back because she was in the light already. She was glowing light. She and that, that means that he already reached the light. Yeah. So then if she's not coming, I'm not coming. That's the other one. Because I've been told that I've always been generated by her as a mommy and me as the baby. This I've been told as well. In every incarnation, she has played the role of the mommy, me the role of the baby. I'm the baby, you see. And I like that feeling of being the baby. Because deep inside me, I am a baby. That's the way I am. This is probably the secret of a lot of things. You know, my enthusiasm, my energy comes from the fact that I have a very later years. But now it is because in order to have a companion that will go with me and live the life I like to live, he has to have a very young energy because they get all very tired. That's why I have a few of them. It's not like I stick to <laughs> Quite right, too. But now I've learned something else because you live and learn. Mm -hmm. And I've gone through everything and I've done that and been there. Up until very recently, I'm going to dare to say up until a month ago, for me going out meant that I had to eat because I like to drink a lot. And in order to sustain the drink, I have to eat and I drink and I drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. And then because I have moved on and this is part of the sequence and I'm going to escape one chapter to jump into what I'm doing right now because I went from the nightlife to the sunsets which became global and now I'm also doing lunches which is a novelty on me but the reason that I've been doing this baby Brasa which is the latest project that I've endeavored is because of the fact that being Peruvian I love Peruvian food and the Peruvian food has been for eight consecutive years leading the, in the world of the best yeah. cuisine and of course Virgilio who I also know from Central is considered one of the top chefs in the world and ceviche is the number one Peruvian dish in the world. So continuing with this, um, being that I do this gig and I've been doing it already for nine years so since the PhD opened at the Dream Downtown because I'm very friendly with the CEO from the Tao Group for yeah. the management, Mark Packer. The Tao 
is the group that manages the dream. And by the way, I believe I told you, if not, I'm going to take the opportunity to tell you right now that I do a weekly gig with the PhD of the dream every Thursday from June to September during the summer season because I get the best table at the rooftop, which is table number seven, which belongs to the owner, to Vikram Chatwal. But I take the table. This well, is what I, I've been working with this group with the Von Brooks for 14 years now because when I went from the nightlife to the sunset, it was about 14 years ago, we started first doing two years of the Tavern on the Green, beautiful venue at a sunset party. Then we went to the Hudson River. Yes rooftop, then we went to the Empire, then to Barbasque, and nine years with the dream since it opened. I've never been this time with any other venue. And then I created the Sunset Rooftop Parties, which became global all over the world, including now in Peru, Rooftop, Brazil, wherever you go, Rooftop, Sunset Rooftop. Then when I finished doing my season, since I go in December, and this is only September, I was just debating because I know that in New York you have to be busy. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't work, what else are you going to stagnate. do? Stagnate. You can't nothing, stagnate in the Nothing. City. And of yeah. course I go to the gym and all that. But I was wondering, what am I going to be doing? And then suddenly, out of the blues, my main line, who no one ever calls me anymore in the main line because it's oh. obsolete, oh, right. yeah. you know, yeah. rings. And I'm never home in any case to pick it up. But it rings and magically. I am at home and I pick up. And then I hear this voice, hola, in Spanish. How are you? Have you ever been in my restaurant? Which restaurant? Uh, it's called Baby Brasa. No. And I am Franco Noriega, and I'm the owner. <laughs> and I really would love to send you the car if you are available. I invite you to come and join me for lunch. So I said, why not? Why not? So then what I do is go arrive to this beautiful place it looks like if you are in the mediterranean because it's in the corner of 7th avenue south with perry street in the corner there is nothing around it oh no worries and, yeah. okay yeah. and it's all white with yellow awnings baby brassa very lively and um, so i walked into this little paradise and I adore the food, which is Peruvian organic, the best Peruvian food there is in New York. And as a result, the three models that own it, and everybody's the result of what they eat, they are like this, they look trim, they look fit, and that motivated me even, you know. Mm -hmm. I said, oh wow, this is another level. Let's drop the sex, drugs, and rock and roll <laughs> of the days of the studio, and now we are moving into a very new endeavor, which is Sunset Branches, which is what he wanted me to help him with. But of course, being that my crowd is a boozy crowd mm, who likes to party and they like to go out and have basically drinks, drinks and more drinks, but not too much of it, eating type. I am saying, what am I going to do mm. in order to make this happen? And then I said, oh, I know what I'm going to do. A Sunset Branch, like Bagatelle. In other words, we start late, like at two. Yeah. We go away, go even later to the point that we mix almost lunch with dinner. We put music, DJ dancing around the tables or on top of the tables or whatever, and that's it. So I started the Sunset Branches, and they were such a success. And the mix was so good, and the food is so amazing, and the vibe is awesome. They are millennials. There are when three models. 
When did you start the Sunset Branches? September! So that Immediately! Yeah. As soon as he proposed, mm. I said, okay, I'm going to collaborate with you. And I did it every Saturday, and the combination of my crowd, which is the same combination that I use at studio and everywhere. It's a straight, it's gay, mm. it's fashion, it's social, it's rich. But at the same time, with the young ingredient that these millennials can bring, and the models, it's a perfect match. Mm -hmm. It's an Perfect ideal cocktail. match. So it was a total success to the point that when I told them that I had to leave in December to Peru because it, it's on me, my agenda and uh, I do as I please. And, you know, I'm sorry that you are, I'm going to be missed and, of course, I have been bringing the business, but this is the way I am. Listen next week as we dive into the real backstory of Studio 54 and cover some of Carmen's life lessons. Just go to iTunes. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you listen to subscribe and rate. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating as it helps more people discover us. If you want to learn more or have someone you'd like us to interview, just visit us at theimpossiblenetwork.com or DM us on Instagram at The Impossible Network. For now, be curious, be creative, and be open to serendipity. See you next time.